Psalm 103 is our first reading. Let me just remind you of how precious the Word of God is. Psalm 119 says, Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I'm going to invite uh, Dave and Isabel to bring us our two Bible readings. Okay, yes, the first reading is Psalm 130. It can be found on page 442 of the Bibles. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The New Testament reading is from 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, which is on page 857. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Good evening. If you haven't met me, my name's Dave. I've been coming to church by the bridge for a while, but at the beginning of this year, started to work part-time at church. And before we come to God's word, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are privileged to have it. And Lord, your word is full of so many promises that give us such a sure hope. May your word speak to us tonight. May your spirit, Lord, soften our hearts and open up our ears, that we might hear what it is that you would say to us, that we might know the hope that we have in Christ, and that we might be able to live with that each day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Another thing, even if you do know me, if you were to get into my car and if you were to switch on the CD player, probably 90% of the time there'll be a particular band playing or a CD that I'll have in there. And it's by a group called Sons of Korah. They've stolen their name from 
passage in the Bible where the sons of Korah were a group of musicians in Israel. But this group, it comes from Melbourne, what they do is put the Psalms to music. And it's wonderful. As God's Word sung in all different styles, you just hear God's Word. And often in the car I have this playing. And a particular psalm is Psalm 130, and that's where we're going to look at tonight. And it's a psalm of wonderful hope. It's a psalm that God gives to His people that just helps them to keep persevering, helps them to keep looking. So if you've had your Bibles open, we're actually going to sit in Psalm 130. So you're probably, many of you are probably in 1 Peter at the moment. But that's Psalm 130, if you've got your Bible open now, you'll see a little thing at the top and it says a psalm of ascent. And the psalm of ascent, there's a group of them, were sung each time God's people would head up to Jerusalem when they'd go to the festivals. And they think it's called the psalm of ascent either because they're going up the mountain to the temple or because they're just climbing the stairs up to the temple. But in this psalm, year in and year out, they would go back and God in this psalm would speak to his people through this psalm, reminding them, put their hope in him, to encourage them to keep persevering in him. Whatever life may bring, whatever circumstances they might find themselves in, as they sing this psalm, it reminds them of God who is their hope. And we too, remember to do this, we too need to hear of that hope. We too, I'm sure as you live your life and I live mine, can very quickly have God's hope clouded out. We get caught up in all sorts of things and we start to look in all sorts of different places for our hope. And so I pray as we look at this psalm, we too might be reminded of our hope. And as I read through the psalm and as we look at it, you can't help but be asked, are you putting your hope in God? Because that's what it's there. It's a challenge to God's people. Are you putting your hope in Him? And if you're someone who says, yes, I'm putting my hope in God, how sure, how certain are you living with those hopes? Because that is what this psalm is asking. That's what this psalm is exhorting us to. That's what this psalm is saying. Our hope is sure. Our hope is steadfast. And one of the clearest times where we can quickly see where our hope is is when we hit the hard times, when challenges come. And in that first verse of this psalm, out of the depths I cry. The person writing the psalm is in the depths or the deep waters. And as you look through the psalm, what are the depths? They're the hard times. They're the really facing relentless opposition, times of intense despair. The person here is in the deep. And when we find ourselves in the deep, there we can quickly see where we are looking for our hope. Who are we hoping in? What are we hoping in? And whether we're Christians, that doesn't mean we're exempt from times in the deep, are we? We can just look at our own lives or we can look to the life of history and know that we too have been through hard times, times that are extremely challenging, hard times that we begin to despair. But even there, God is saying there is hope. Even there... That does not cut us off from the hope that God has. And as I said, when we're in the deep, hard times very quickly show us where our hope is. They very quickly reveal if we've got a true hope or a false hope. Who are we living for? If we really are putting our hope in God. And Israel too went through their hard times. And often as we read through the Bible, you'll see that Israel in their hard times don't call out to God. 
They call out to the nations around them or they take on the idols of the world in which they live. And what do we do? What do I do? We're not much different. As we live in our lives, we very quickly, without having to think about it very often, start to follow the ways of this world, start putting our hope in the things that this world does. What does the world say when we're in times of need or despair or things are looking hopeless? The world very quickly will say, maybe you need more money, maybe you need to take on a new job, maybe you need a change, maybe you need a new philosophy, it's all wrong. Maybe you're with the wrong person. The world will have many ways that it will say you can find hope. And sometimes, sad enough, even in the world, when we're in times of our despair, the world doesn't even say find hope, it says run away. Just ignore them. Go on a holiday, spend money, buy new things. People, sadly, will take drugs or drink. We try and escape, deny the times that we are in. And some of us probably might be sitting there thinking, my life's pretty good, I haven't experienced any hard times, or not really experiencing hard times now. now. But as you are in those moments, I ask you tonight, ask yourself, where is your hope? What are you hoping in? If we are in hard times, and I think we've got to consider hard times as a mercy from God. Because there we quickly see, are we holding on to Christ our Saviour, or are we holding on to the things of this world? Don't despise the hard times. God is helping us often to make sure our hope is certain, that we have a lasting hope. And if you think everything's good, make sure that your hope is certain and will last. And one thing that we go through this psalm makes very clear, and as we know God and as we know our own life's experiences, there is no certain hope found in this world, but there's only going to be certain hope found in God. We don't know exactly what the psalmist here was going through, what he was experiencing, what the depths he found himself in. It might be spiritual turmoil. It could be like Job suffering all sorts of awful things. Yet in this psalm, the psalmist says there is something common to us all, something that goes beyond even those hard times, a depth that we find ourselves in that means things are utterly hopeless. Things are utterly hopeless. In verse 3, he says, O Lord, if you kept a record of sin, who could stand? No matter what your circumstances in, there is a depth that holds us all. That means all other things are futile. And as we live in this sinful world, as people drowning in our own sin, is it no, no surprise to us as we reach out to other people drowning in their sin that we don't find our answers here, that things are hopeless. Yet here in this depths, we need help. For our sin, until that sin is dealt with, all other places that we go to for hope will never satisfy, will never free us, will never help us to know hope. Consider the record of your own sin. He says, O oh Lord, if you kept a record of sin. If I stop and think about my record of sin, how big a list. And God knows every sin, not just the things done out in the open but all the things hidden within god knows all of our sin and if we were to front up before god what do we do god is pure god is holy god is righteous because god is good he must judge sin he must deal with it what hope does a sinner have in the presence of a righteous god there is none 
And so, unless our sin is dealt with, there is ultimately no hope. We live in despair. And there is no organization, no person, no help, no anything that you can go to that will deal with your sin. Our problem of sin is between us and God. Only in God can the solution be found. It is God we have sinned against. Hope can only be found in Him. And so what does the psalmist do here? Out of the depths he cries to God. Because ultimate hope, lasting hope, sure hope can only be found in Him. And this psalm in the end is just this wonderful journey as he starts in the depths and as he considers God and he rises to the heights of this hope that is sure and certain that goes beyond just paying for his sin, more wondrous than he can even imagine. And so let's, as we go through this psalm, firstly just look at it and see what is it that gives him so much hope? Why is he so sure of his hope, even though everything around him seems so despairing? And then secondly, how does that affect him? And the first thing as we go through is that we do see is that he cries out to God. He has hope because he knows that God will hear him. As you read through the psalm, as you go through, you can see he has this expectation as he considers God's word. He knows that as he cries out from the depth, O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to my cry, that his cries will be heard. He is not crying out in despair. God is ready to hear. He knows from God's word that God won't block his ears. God won't ignore him. God is waiting and listening for humble sinners to come to cry to him. And he will listen. I was at a barbecue a couple of weeks ago. It was just last Sunday, actually. And I was standing there talking with a friend. There were lots of people as we chatted around outside. And as we were chatting amongst all the noise, he suddenly stopped. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then he said, I can hear my boy crying. I couldn't hear it. I didn't even take any notice. (laughs) But then he took off to go to help to hear the cry of his child. How great is our heavenly father that even as we cry to him, there is nothing in the busyness of this life, in the chaos of this world, nothing that will stop our heavenly father hear us. How much more attentive is he to us, his children, crying out to him for mercy? God will hear us. And so... When you're in need of help, to know that your cries for help are being heard gives you hope. But as he's there, he cries out. What does he cry? He cries for mercy. As mentioned, we don't exactly know what it is that holds him in the depths, what it is that he's struggling with. But even if it's not his sin, even if it's just struggling with illness, with sickness, with frustrations, with all the things that can happen, He cries to God for mercy. Why? Because he knows he is a sinner. He needs God to be merciful to him. What right does a sinner, as we live in this world of sin, as we live the consequences of sin, as we live under the punishment of sin, what right do we have to come to God, whatever our circumstances, and demand that God does something for us? To come presumptuously saying, God, fix everything. We have no right to do that. And what does he do? He comes and he cries out to God for mercy. Only mercy from God will give him hope. And it's not futile. As you read through the psalm, as you go through, he knows that God will hear the cry of a humble person. 
by the end of the psalm, he's so sure of it and so certain of it, he's proclaiming it in the nation, saying, put your hope in God too. He knows the joy of that hope. God is merciful. We need not just despair, but come to him, and God will show mercy, because he is good, and no one is merciful like God. Who has been wronged more than God? Who has the most right to punish us and judge us? Who is God is righteous and we've been living in rebellion against him and sinfulness, not serving him, doing wrong by others. But God is willing to show mercy. How great is his mercy. No one can show mercy like God, but God wants to be merciful. And there we have hope. And not just that. We can have mercy from someone. If I've wronged someone or if you've come and wronged me, I know in my nature I'll say, don't worry about it. But somehow I hold on to what you did. I keep thinking about it. A king can have a subject come to him and the king can say, I'll show mercy upon you. But every time you come and stand before that king or pass before that king, he knows he's had mercy on you and he'll probably remind you and let you know how good he was of the thing that he passed over. But with God, he's willing to forgive. It's a wonderful thing, forgiveness. As we look at this psalm, verse 3 and 4, the two things are put next to each other. Will God keep a record of sin or will God forgive? If God keeps a record of sin, things are hopeless. But if God forgives, there is hope. And the wonderful thing, not only is God merciful, but He is willing to forgive. He's willing to give us a clear record to wipe it clean. God is willing not just to pass mercy on us, but to do away with, the, with our sin, to not keep calling it to account, to not keep remembering it. With God, there is full forgiveness. And there's no one who's been wronged as much as God. There's no one in your life that you've wronged as much as you've wronged God. But God will forgive. And so there is hope. And you might be wondering, and I sometimes do, even as a Christian, think surely what I've just done is too big. Surely what I've done is too shameful. Surely the consequences of what I've just done are too great. Surely God can't forgive that. But God will forgive all sin. God is willing to forgive. There's no sin written so boldly or so deep that God will not forgive. And that's a wonderful hope. And it keeps going. As he climbs out of the depths, as he remembers these things that give him hope, and at the center of the psalm, the psalm is built around in the middle of this. Where is his hope? His hope, his certain hope, is the word of God and what God has spoken. He has determined to look nowhere else. He's looking here at God's word. God says he will hear our cry. Where did he read that in God's word that God will be merciful? God himself has said, and it's in this word, that he'll forgive. And he puts his hope upon God's word. And surely he'll talk of God's love and God's redemption. God's words are promises. God's word is sure. When we put our hope in his word, it's certain. And when we come to God, and when God makes a promise, say it again, it's certain. What is the basis for putting our hope in a promise? Is it the thing which is promised to us or the person making the promise? And I don't think it has taken us long to start realizing 
It's the person themselves. It's the ability, the resource of the person themselves who make the promise. Our certainty is a measure is measured according to who makes the promise. There is no one in our life who can guarantee a promise. A couple of weeks, a few more weeks ago, I was out at a little church in the Riverina. One of the things I had the opportunity of doing was to give a little children's talk. And it was about the promises of God. And we sat down with the kids at the front of the church and made up a little scenario about where I promised to do something for my mum and dad. And I asked the kids, what could happen to prevent me from keeping my promise? Did they have to sit there long to start thinking of things? No. Very quickly, they said, I could get sick, you could forget. The car could break down. An emergency might come up. And so we wrote these things down. Even in their short little lives, they know how feeble our promises are. And the longer you and I have lived, I'm sure, we have probably become even cynical about people who make promises. But with God, we've got to put all that aside. We've got to think who's making the promise. It's God. And we've got to think about who God is. There's nothing that can happen that can break God's promise. He's all-powerful. He cannot lie. He doesn't change. And that kids' talk, as we started to think about those promises that we break, we just grabbed those. Does God get sick? No. Does God get distracted? No. God is God. There is nothing that will prevent God or make God or cause God to break a promise. He is the almighty God who is determined and does not change. God's promises are sure. And as we read the promises in his word, as we read them today, they're just as fresh, they're just as real, they're just as alive as when they were first read. You can pick your Bible up tonight and read a promise from God and it's just as the psalmist picking up and reading a promise from God. God's word is the same yesterday, today and forever. His word is sure, it does not change. And so here he has hope because God's word is certain. But he's well and truly out of the depths and it just gets more wonderful as he thinks about where his hope is. Why does God hear? Why is God so kind to show mercy? Because God is loving. God's love is unfailing. Once again, like promises, do we know real love? we define love we don't probably do a very good job of it because we don't really experience true pure perfect love people are in relationships where they say they love each other but that's only for a time till they fall out of love people commit to live with one another they won't commit or promise to be together forever it's just until things change don't have to look too far, and especially as I was teaching last year and previously, at families, at homes, and see love is so broken in this world. To know acceptance, but, no, but to know more than just acceptance, isn't it? To know that even with all our frailties, with all our problems, with everything about us, with all our flaws, that there's someone who is committed to the light in us. 
It's a wonderful thing and God's love is unfailing. God loves like that. In what ways is it unfailing? I've got two. God's love is covenantal. That's the way it's used. It's a covenantal love. He promises. He commits. He will not break that oath. God commits to love. God will not, you will not wake up one day and find that God's moved on or that God's over you or that God's found another interest. No, God's love is faithful and true. It shall be steadfast. It shall not break. It shall persevere. God's love is unfailing, but also too, it's unfailing because it cannot be broken. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Think again about who's loving us. It's God. It's the Almighty God. There's probably familiar things from the New Testament. We're poor rights, but there's no power, there's no height, there's no depth. There's nothing. No circumstances in your life that can ever cut you off from the love of God. God has committed to love those who call to Him. And that's a wonderful hope, an unshakable love. And He climbs higher still. God is ready to fully redeem. Hope rises. We often, being redeemed is a wonderful thing when a slave has been enslaved for so long, probably for life, and someone comes along and pays a price that moves that slave from being in bondage to being free. Redemption's a wonderful thing. And what's the hope of this psalm? Is that we can know that God will redeem us from our sin. God will fully redeem us from our sin. And often I think when we think about redemption, we just think about paying the price for sin. But full redemption is wonderful. Full redemption means that not just that the price has been paid, means that we've been freed not just from the bondage of sin, but we've actually moved to being able to live free of sin. That is the promise that God gives his people. He is promising full redemption to one day being fully freed from sin. It's a wonderful hope, more wonderful than we can imagine. And we join the psalmist as we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, as we went through Revelation, a place where there's no more crying, no more tears, no more sadness, no more death, full redemption. That is what God has promised. That is what he hopes. Israel comes back from the exile. They see that the promises have not all been fulfilled. And so they wait And the faithful keep holding on to God's promises, knowing that his word is true. And as we come to the New Testament, we've got Romans, look these up later. But Romans 8.28, what does Paul say? We wait eagerly for our adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting, we're longing. Paul says in Romans 13, stay alert as salvation is nearer today than it was when we first believed. You wake up tomorrow and you'll be nearer to your full redemption than you are tonight. Ephesians 4, live for God, keep living for Him because you have been sealed for the day of your redemption. Hebrews 9, wait expectantly for Christ will appear a second time to bring salvation, to bring about full redemption to those who are waiting for Him. We look forward, this isn't it. God has promised full redemption. And so we hope. And I think we're often quick to point out those people who sort of, Say we experience full redemption now and say we can be without sickness, without disease and without sin. And we know that's not right. What about us? Do we live with expectation? Are we talking and sharing and hoping in what is to come? Do we live? When last did you sit down with a 
Christian friend and talk to them of the hope, the full redemption that we have, that God has promised. Live with expectation. There's an elderly lady that I catch up with every now and again who's had a hard life, who struggles with back pain and all sorts of things. But you mention heaven. Well, if she starts to talk on heaven, her eyes lighten up and she's just this joy on her face and she starts to talk. And she delights as she looks forward to a full redemption when she'll no longer limp, when she'll be running and singing and cheering and all sorts of things. You'll start to talk about her friends and others who know the Lord and their full redemption that they long for. Redemption comes at a cost. There's a price that has to be paid. It's a wonderful thing. He looks forward to full redemption. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with him Love is unfailing, with him is full redemption. But how will the price be paid? How can such a price, such a big price be paid for our sin? And in verse 8 he says, He, God, himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. God himself will redeem Israel. And just a little aside, who's Israel? Who's God going to redeem? It's God's covenant people, those whom he has committed to love, those who have cried out to him in mercy. It's not about where you're born or who you're born to. If we have looked to God as our hope, to him as our saviour, we are part of that people. And how will God redeem his covenant people his, himself? What does it mean for God to redeem, pay the price himself? Firstly, the psalmist lived before Jesus. But he knew that one thing it did mean is that God had to take the initiative. We can't climb out of the depths. God's got to lift us out. And God himself will act to deliver us or pick us up out of our sins. Secondly, it points to God is going to cover the cost. God himself will pay the price. We can never pay the price. And so God, in effect, is saying to the sinner as he puts his faith in God, I'm going to put that price, just put it on my tab. But ultimately and more wonderfully than the the psalmist could ever imagine, God himself truly paid the price. God himself paid the price. Jesus Christ, what do we hear every Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. He came and he died the death. He paid the price for sin. He took all of us tabs upon himself. Those who have cried out to God, he put them on themselves, took them on himself. And God's wrath that we deserve for our sin, was exhausted on him. It was spent on him that we might be fully redeemed. He died, he gave his life, he paid the price. And how do we know that price was sufficient? He was raised from the dead and he's risen and he's alive. Our hope, all our promises find their place in Jesus. The hope of the psalmist was great. How much more should our hope be? Because we know Christ. Why is God's mercy towards us so certain? Because, God, because Christ bore God's wrath in our place. Why is God's forgiveness so certain? Because in Christ our sins were nailed to the cross. Why is God's love so certain? Because Christ, the Son of God, gave his life. Why is God's redemption so sure? Because Christ paid the price. Why is God's full redemption so sure? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. Our hope is certain in Christ. And this wonderful verse that we read before, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is great, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation. All our hope, all our promises are in Jesus. All our hope, all our promises are assured in him. And thinking about how did hope affect the life of this psalmist? To have been in those depths, to hold on to all this hope. He's, he's in the heights. The things, the wonders of God just got more and more beautiful the further up he went. He's standing before his people and calling upon them. Put your hope in God. It's sure hope. It's certain hope. Four words. Remember persevere, fear, we'll get to that, and tell. What does he do? What is our challenge? Let's remember our hope. It's not very technical. It's not very deep, but it's very real. We'll go home tonight. You'll wake up in the morning. You'll jump on your bus. You'll be busy at Town Hall Station or wherever you're going. You'll have kids running around, you'll go to work, you'll have a crazy day at work, you'll jump on the train, you'll go home, you'll put the tally on, you'll read a book, you'll go to bed. Somewhere in there will you have space to remember God's hope. As we get busy with life, that hope just gets pushed to the side. And what happens? And I see it in my own life. You begin to fret, you begin to worry, you begin to you lose your foundation. You lose your security. Let's remember our hope. Let's be intentional. Where does he know his hope from? From the word of God. How well are we delving into God's word? Some of us might have started the reading through the Bible at the beginning of the year. I'll be honest, I had a reading plan that I started and as life got busy and as other things have come up, it's sort of waylaid. But let's be intentional in delving into God's word to know the promises that he holds on to, that we can hold on to, that help us be secure. Let's hold on to those promises. Not because we want to be legalistic, but because we want to be wise, because we want to hold on to the hope, because we know how God, good, how good God is. And if you are in the depths, go home tonight and do what the psalmist did. He looked to God. Take a moment, look to God. Call out to him. Confess your sin, your need of God's mercy. And then hold on to God's hope. You don't know how long you had to endure. But there we hold on and we have security. And I've got a wonderful little book, I can tell you more about it. It's According to Promise by a guy called Charles Spurgeon. And he gets the promises out of the Bible. And little chapters, it's just a little, little book. He just goes through those promises and tells us and makes it so plain and so simple and so clear how wonderful and certain God's promises are, according to promise. And let's persevere with our hope. Let's keep living for Him. We struggle in life. We experience all sorts of things. But let's not take our eyes off Jesus. It follows closely to the previous one, remember. Hold on to our hope. And how does he do it? He says, My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning, more than a watchman waits for the morning. What does a watchman have to do? The watchman's got to stay alert. The watchman's got to stay focused. The watchman can't take a break, can't be distracted. 
let alone, surely he's not going to sleep. He watches for the morning, the expectation that the day will break. And as we live for God, we can hold on to his promises. Not because it's a duty, not because it's our job, but because it's our delight, our joy of the hope of God, that we will stay alert, we won't fall asleep, we won't lose grip on him. We will keep living and hoping in him. And he says it twice, more than the watchman. How wonderful that is. I have a friend who I catch up with as well, and his life has been hard for him. He's struggled with all sorts of things. I initially used to go to think I'll read the Bible with him and pray. But it didn't take me long to realize that I was leaving so encouraged and blessed from being ministered to by him. Every day he takes pills, every constantly going to specialist, he constantly has struggles with mental things and health things. But he faithfully reads his Bible a little bit each day and there his hope is. And as he talks about those hopes, even in times where he despairs or gets all anxious, he just holds on to them and it keeps him persevering. Let's fear God. That's the other thing he says in verse 4. There is forgiveness, there you are feared. Feared is the outcome. We might initially read that and say, fear God, and think that's the reason he's sort of coming to God. No, because God is forgiving, because God is a place of hope, it says he will fear him. That is the outcome. Fearing God, it's responding rightly to him, to live rightly before him. I heard a helpful little thing at a service last week, to fear God, to trust, love and obey. That's how you can sum it up, to fear God, to love, trust and obey. When temptation comes, when challenges come in this world, when things come that would tug us away from God, whatever your situation, you know that God's promises are sure, God's hopes are sure. God is so kind, God is so loving, His word is sure, therefore I want to remain faithful to Him, I'm not going to give that direction. When temptation comes, we know God is good, we know God is God, we know it is right, so we're going to trust that God knows how we should live, and so I don't go that direction. And when temptation comes, I know that God is God, that obeying Him is a delight. Satan, the world, all things will come and speak into our ears and say, how can there be any joy in fearing God? But we know by the grace of God, as we hold on to His hope that motivates us, shows us that fearing God is a great thing. We live to love, trust and obey Him. And the final one, let's tell others of our hope. What does He do? He sort of is in the depths, He's all quiet, He's all holding it in and then He rises out of the depths and in the end you can't contain Him. He's there. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. He's crying out to them. If there is such a wonderful hope as this, how can He keep it to Himself? If there's such a wonderful hope as this that will help him persevere through the depths of life, how can he keep it to himself? He wants others to know it too. He calls out. When the opportunity comes to share the gospel, sometimes I wonder, where do I start? What do I say? I sort of start trying to remember two ways to live. But one place we can start is the hope that we have in God. What God has promised and then, how can you be so sure of those hopes? Because of Jesus. Use the hope that we have. Proclaim it. Be motivated by it. So remember, persevere, fear and tell.
God's hope is good. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews 6.19 which says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor. You've seen some big ships, you've probably seen some big anchors. But there is no anchor as big as the hope of God's promises. And that verse, if you read that verse previously, it's actually pointing to the promise of God. We've got God's promises as a hope. But where does it move to? It then applies it to Christ. God's promises are our hope. Where are all God's promises? They're in Christ. Christ is the one. Christ himself. As we put our hope in him, we can be sure in what we hope for. Our hope is not an idea, a philosophy, some sort of... Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. And it's safe and sure. We can be sure that even though we get tossed and back in the depths of a sinful world, even though endless things come that would drag us and seek to take us away from God, even as though we might feel lost and frail and helpless in this sea of life with all that it brings, we can know that our hope in Christ gives us an anchor that is firm, that's secure. And nothing, nothing can ever loosen Christ our anchor. Nothing can take away the hope that we have, not just for now, but forevermore. Because Christ is a hope that is sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your hope is certain, that your hope is so sure. That you are loving, that you are kind, that you are merciful, that you are forgiving. And that with you there is full redemption. Heavenly Father, may you just place upon us your hopes. May our hearts be filled as the psalmist was filled. That no matter what life brings, your promises would be before us that we would delight in him, in them. And no matter what, we'll keep watching and waiting with joy and with hope because you are good. And as your word says, hope from you does not and never will disappoint. In Jesus' name, amen.